Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight we're going to get into a lot of the uh, several of the Psalms because we're going to be reading the Bible chronologically here. So some of the things that we read last night is uh, in regards to uh, David and and Saul and these kind of things. So David wrote several Psalms in 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 his journey. So we're going to be reading those uh, tonight. Welcome to all you guys who are joining. All right, all right. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read through some of the Psalms. And uh, we are going to go through both first, second, actually the whole entire Bible. Um, from the, we, we have so far, basically in the chronological order. Uh, we're going to continue going uh, through the, the scriptures, uh, the Tanakh, uh, and then, Lord willing, maybe we'll start with the New Testament again. Well, you know, we want to get into some of these other extra biblical texts as well, the, the Apocrypha and some of the other uh, texts that have been written, um, such as the Gospel of Thomas and some of, some of the other ones as well. But we're going through it chronologically. It's very, very important to do that. Because if you don't do that, it's it can get quite confusing. It's like, you know, you don't know where did Isaiah come in the picture here? Like, where did Daniel come in the picture here? Uh, you know, when you read, you know, book for book, like read a whole book and then the next whole book, it, it can get confusing. So this is why we're reading it chronologically. By the way, for those who are new to, uh, to the faith, um, if you're reading the New Testament, it's also very, very important to read it chronologically. Uh, especially the Gospels. If you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, most people, if they do read, if they do read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John, they will read like all of Matthew. Then they'll start with Mark, right? Then they'll start with Luke, and then they'll go to John, and so on and so forth. But I mean, that's that's one way we could read the Bible. That's fine. However. Another way of reading the Bible is chronologically, and that really helps out because that helps you uh, to get extra details and to compare the different books and the different authors because some author, different authors say different things. We see that very, very clearly in the Gospels. We also see that to a minor degree when it comes to, well, we see that in the Tanakh, but especially when it comes to the first and second Kings compared to first and second chronicles for those of you who are again new to the to this whole thing uh first and second chronicles is more like a midrash or like a commentary uh kind of like a rehashing of first and second kings so if you read first and second kings then you read first and second chronicles it's like wait a second this is a repeat a lot of it is a repeat okay uh, but we do get different details in there as well. Uh, since I'm on the topic right now, um, First and Second Chronicles is of lesser authority than First and Second Kings. First and Second Chronicles is considered to be almost like a commentary or a midrash of First and Second Kings, meaning that if there's anything in First and Second Kings uh, that is contradictory to First and Second Chronicles. We take First and Second Kings over Chronicles. You take Kings over Chronicles, okay? Uh, that's a rule of thumb. Okay, see what we have here in the chat. 
Caballero says, hello, Christopher. I've been, I've been long for a long time, but I'm glad I finally have time to hear you again live. Amen. Amen. Glad you're here, Caballero. Mark says, can you explain why this says two men in, in bed seems strange uh, to me? It's uh, verse 30, 34, I guess. Um, I tell you that in the night there will be two men in one bed and one will be taking the other left. Yeah, okay. Let's let's uh, we'll, we'll quickly jot over there uh, in the meantime. Uh, I was just talking about comparing. Um, this is one of those instances where you will uh, you will see you will see differences between the, the gospels. Um, so that is Luke. You, you see this often and, and, you know, that's a whole study by itself, but just, just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. If you compare Matthew with Luke, a lot of times, you know, they would, Matthew would say one, whereas Luke would say two. And Matthew would like one blind man and Luke is like two blind men. Uh, so uh, and, and that's, it's, it's amazing, Mark, that you asked a question like this because I didn't even read your question before I, uh, you know, when I was talking about comparing the Gospels. So, yeah. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 34. Let me just share my screen here so you guys can read along with me. Now, um, <clears throat> not sure what... Uh, version you are reading there, Mark, but this version here, the uh, the version I got right now in front of me is NIV. You know, I, 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 I often go from, you know, different, I often read from different versions. So the NIV says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. Uh, one will be taken, the other left. Now let's compare the different translations, Bibles. Okay, so the King James is uh, two men, but notice notice that the word men. Uh, I know that might be kind of small for you guys who are on mobile devices, but the word men here, that word is in italics, which means it's not in the original manuscripts. It's not in. Uh, it, it wasn't. Luke didn't put men in there. He he just said two. Okay, it was the translators of the King James Bible that put men in there. Um, same with the, the New King James. You see the word men is in italics. Uh, the NLT, uh, surprisingly enough, is a little bit more um, uh, accurate here. Uh, that night, two people, people. Uh, same with the NIV, two people. So literally what it says, I mean, literally word for word, what it says is in that night, there there will be two in one bed. Okay, it doesn't say men. Uh, so I think you get, depending on what version you're reading. And this is really, this is very, very uh, literal, uh, very accurate here. The ESV, I tell you that in, in that night, there will be two in one bed. Very literal and accurate there, uh, as well as the CSB in this on, on that account. Um, the, even the, uh, NASB, the new American standard is, is very accurate as well. So you see that most translations do not say men. Um, most of them either say people or just say two. 
Very good question, Mark. Thank you for asking. And we got Mike from Omaha. Shalom, Mike. Welcome. Mark. Okay, you're just okay, you're just referencing Luke chapter 17, verse 34. Yes. Christina. Welcome, Christina. Says, mine says two men in a field. Byron says, I'm reading through the whole Bible currently at 2 Kings 18. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, so Mark, yeah, you put it in you know, some, some translations say two people. Yeah, the more accurate would be like the SV or the CSB that or the NASB that just says two. There'd be two in, in one bed. One John says the term one taken means one dies. 50% of the population will die before Christ returns. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, uh, spoke about this several times. Uh, the word, yeah, when it says two will be taken uh, or one will be taken, excuse me, yeah, it, it does mean die in, in that context. You, you know, um, uh, reference Isaiah chapter 57, where it says that the righteous are taken, meaning that they die. It's very clear they're taken, you know, they um, they die. And, and also in Matthew chapter 24, Yeshua makes it clear as well. It's like, uh, you know, uh, in the days of Noah, you know, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the flood comes and takes them all away, takes them away. So, yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, let me see here what we got on this. Podbean, Podbean podcast. Uh, for some reason, this is giving me trouble. I'm not sure why it does it. All right. Okay. Anyway, let's get to it. This is Psalm. We'll start with Psalm 7. Psalm 7. And now we read about this particular event yesterday, but today we're going to be reading about David's songs as Psalms uh, that he wrote about some of those uh, things that he uh, experienced. So this is Psalm 7. The Lord implored to defend the psalmist against the wicked. Uh, Shagayan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush a Benjaminite. Now, this Shigayan, Shigayan means, it says here, it's a, a <laughs> hard to pronounce this one, dithyrambic rhythm or wild passionate song, it says here, concerning the words of, you know, instead of um, just concerning Cush, a Benjaminite, but concerning the words of Cush, the Benjaminite. Verse 1, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and rescue me. Let's stop here for just a second. 
I encourage, I encourage all of, all of you guys, um, pray the Psalms, pray the Psalms. You know, you got, you're going through something, you're having some difficulty, you know, in life, you're, you're having some adverse circumstances that you're facing. Pray the Psalms. I mean, what, how much more can you get like act like closer to, like to pray the very prayers that's in the bible pray the very prayers that's in the word of god written by the hand of david so powerful so powerful oh lord my god in you i have taken refuge save me from all those who pursue me and rescue me or he will tear my soul like a lion. Now, uh, seeing the footnotes here, tear me like a lion, dragging me away while there is no one to rescue me. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have done evil to my friend, in the footnotes, literally him who is at peace with me, or, or have plundered my enemy for no reason. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Raise yourself against the rage of my enemies and stir yourself for me. You have ordered judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you. And return on high over it. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Again, ah, you know, you guys know how much we deal with this. You know, we talked about this on Sunday as well. If there's none righteous, it would be insane for David to talk like this. It would be insane. I mean, literally, it would be insane for David to talk like this if he wasn't righteous. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness. Obviously, he was very confident that he was righteous. He was very confident in the fact that he came before the Lord and was like, vindicate me according to my righteous righteousness. That would have been a perfect spot for him to say, oh, Lord, there's none righteous. I know there's none righteous. See, because in Psalm 14... Right? In Psalm 14, um, he said, again, uh, concerning a certain group of people, concerning the unbelievers, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. And that was the Psalm, that was what Paul was quoting. But of course, uh, there are a lot of righteous people. Uh, there, there has been from righteous Abel, right? It says that in the New Testament, actually, that Abel was righteous, Righteous Abel all the way through, all the way down. Even today, there are people not, I mean, it's not a majority, that's for sure. Not a majority of people, but there are people who are righteous. And so David confidently prays, vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Again, if his righteousness is as filthy rags, this, this, this makes no sense. No sense. Of course, again, in Isaiah chapter 64, it's talking about a certain group of people and certainly not everybody. Verse 9, please let the evil of the wicked come to an end. 
but establish the righteous. There, there are righteous. There is a, a group of people that existed and still, and still exist and will exist that are called the righteous. There are the wicked and then there are the righteous. Establish the righteous. Again, if there was no such thing as righteous, the righteous people, if there were, if there were no righteous people, again, it just boggles my mind. It just boggles my mind how someone can stick to their guns about, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. And they don't know, first of all, that Paul misquoted David. And not only that, but he it was it was from David. And David, in scores of other passages, talks about the righteous. Of course, the righteous exists. But you see modern Christianity and fabricating selling points, fabricating a sales pitch for their Jesus, they say there's none righteous. And they turn a blind eye and they put on a blindfold to what the scriptures clearly say literally hundreds of times. For the righteous, God puts hearts and minds to, te- to the test. For the righteous, God puts hearts and minds to the test. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows indignation every day. Now, in another translation, this is Psalm 7, 11. I know that a lot of um, street preachers uh, are known for using this particular um, this particular verse, especially the King James version of it. Let's just take a peek at it. Uh, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, of course, here again, we have with the wicked is in italics. Um, so it's not in the original. It's not in the original uh, manuscripts. It's not in the original. However, it, it is true. Just because it's not in the original doesn't mean it's always false. In this particular case, it is true. God would certainly not be angry with with his righteous ones. He'd be right. He'd be angry with the wicked. So that it is true. It's just that that's not in. It's, it doesn't literally spell it out for you know for us in that way in the manuscripts. God is angry with the wicked every day. He is angry with the wicked every day. NLT. God who feels indignation every day. Okay. Verse 12, if one does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. Again, I mean, it's all about repentance. Let me let me say this, okay? I, 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 I just got to share this because this is on my mind. There, there are too, way too many Bible teachers out there. And what they do is they point to some obscure passages here and there. And they, they, they string passages together, like one verse over here, one verse over there, and another verse over on the other side, and string it all together and build an entire doctrine on it. What we do here is we take the theme of the entirety of Scripture. You'll find this theme in pretty much every book of the Bible. Perhaps you could perhaps you might say Esther doesn't have it. I, I mean, but you know what I mean. Generally speaking, you'll find this everywhere. Not 
well, one verse of Isaiah over here and one verse in, in Acts over here and then another one in, in, in Genesis over here and we string it all together and then, and then make a huge doctrine over it and then stake our soul on that doctrine. That's No, I think what we should do when we read the Bible, and this is another thing, when we read the Bible, let's emphasize the points that God emphasizes. Let's let's keep let's let, let's keep um, let's keep our perspective. Like if God constantly talks about something, we should constantly talk about something. That thing. If if God rarely talks about a certain thing, like one verse in Genesis, one verse in the Book of Enoch, one verse in Revelation. That's, I mean, not that it, not that it's wrong, of course, but it's, it's, if God doesn't, if, if we don't see very much of a certain point or concept in the scriptures, we should not make it a big deal. We should not make it a big deal. We should not make a mountain out of a molehill. So the concept of repentance and God forgiving his people because of repentance, that their repentance brings full and complete atonement for sin, that concept is everywhere. It's in Genesis, it's in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, it's in Numbers, it's in Deuteronomy, it's in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it's in Psalms, it's everywhere. It's the first thing that Jesus preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the first thing the, the disciples preached, according to the book of Mark. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's, it's what they, they preached in the book of Acts. Repent. It's the last thing that Jesus said to his church, to his church in Revelation. Repent. So it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a drumbeat that we hear it, it, throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. So don't let a, any Bible teacher try to pull a, one verse of, of, from over here, one verse, oh, a thousand years later, oh yeah, uh, God said this through um, Peter, okay? You know, and oh yeah, 500 years before that, God said, oh, and then we'll just string it all together. And this is, the doc, this is our like, you know, this is what we stake our soul on. No, we should not do that because what we're doing is we are majoring on the minors. If God makes a thing minor or small, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it much, then we shouldn't talk about it much. We, we shouldn't think about it that much. Okay. We should keep perspective, keep our, what would they call that? In the in in uh, when you're doing uh, the gra computer graphics, it's like the, the the ratio, the scale. You know, keep it. If it's if it's small, keep it small. If it's big, keep it big. Don't mess with the ratio. Don't mess with the with the resolution, the the uh, the aspect ratio. Don't mess with it. But a lot of people do. A lot of people do. Christianity does so much, so much. They mess with the aspect ratio of the scriptures. So we see this. 
virtually everywhere the concept of repentance. And when God sees your repentance, he will he will atone for your, you know, you make atonement for your sin. He will forgive your sin. He will let you go. But if you do not repent, then you're, you're in a bad spot. You're in a bad spot. We see this everywhere. So don't minor on the majors or major on the minors. Let's keep everything in the proper perspective, okay? And that's one of the reasons why we're going through the scriptures. I have, how many churches, I mean, I've been to many churches. I have, I have been a leader in, 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 in several churches, okay? And I have never, ever heard a pastor or even a church leader go through the whole Bible. Never. And they, and they hold the Bible up to the highest standard and they say they're a Bible-believing church, but they never do. You know, on Sunday or on whenever, like when they have when they have a service, it's always just a few verses here, or perhaps even at the most a couple paragraphs at the most, and that's it. And over over the course of a year, how much of the Bible d- does the people actually hear over the course of a year? So, no wonder Christianity is in the in the in the state it's in right now that's why we're doing this that's why we're doing this i know a lot of people don't really they don't have the patience for it or they you know whatever the case is but hey if we're really serious if we're really serious about god if we're really serious we will take the time to go through these to go through the bible the whole entire bible as many times as possible before we before we kiss this earth goodbye yeah, one John says um, the pre-trib rapture believers love saying that the term "one one taken" is the rapture, but that is false, just like the rest of the of their doctrine. Yes, and that's the that's the truth. And you know, there was a point in time I, I have to confess there was a point in time that I I believe that I I went through a prophecy course actually a Bible prophecy course and uh, and that's what I was taught and I believed it for a time. But the more I read the Bible, the more the more it's like the more and more it's like, hey, uh, something is just, it just doesn't work here. So um, finally, I had to just say, wait a second, uh, something is, something's wrong. Actually, one of the things that really, there's actually a couple things that changed my mind about that. One was, uh, it was actually a Bible prophecy teacher that I heard uh, mention that. And this is a very famous Bible prophecy teacher, actually, by the way. And I heard him say, you know, uh, that it's it's um, taken when God takes somebody like this, one is taken, the other is left, it's, it's, it's death. And I thought, what, 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 what? And it, it, you know, it stuck in my mind, but I never really, you know, thought a whole lot on it. But later on, there was another teacher I heard uh, bring out the book of Jasher. Book of Jasher chapter 5 explains that uh, Methuselah was the last of the righteous that was taken before the flood came. And so all the all the righteous men, excluding Noah's family, by the way, like, excluding Noah's family, all the righteous men in Noah's day had to die first. Then the flood came. 
the last one being Methuselah. His, I mean, the name speaks for, for itself. I mean, the name Methuselah means his death shall bring. So um, I studied it. I looked it up. I'm thinking, man, this it makes sense. And then when I, you know, I'll never forget this one day. I was actually, I was actually in a parking lot. I was parked in a parking lot. This would have been like 20, I don't know how many years ago. Okay. I was parked at a grocery store parking lot listening to the Bible on cassette. Can you believe that? Bible on cassette. And, um, and it came to Isaiah chapter 57 and talked about the righteous, the righteous men, you know, perish and the good men are taken away. No one takes it to heart that they're taken away, that they perish because they are taken away from the evil to come. And I'm thinking, there it is again, taken away from the evil. And that's basically what Yeshua was talking about there, taken away from the evil to come. And that's what happened in the days of Noah. They were taken away before the evil to come, as per Isaiah chapter 57. So, yeah, I, you know, it took me a while. It took me a while to, to, to actually change my beliefs on that. But I, you know, it's been, it's been how many years now? 20 some odd years now uh, since I, you know, I, I, uh, I found the truth, what I, what I believe to be the truth. Yes, Christina says, uh, I feel sorry for them. They are so de deceived that when the wrath is poured out, they will call what God is doing the work of evil. They'll never believe it's him judging and, and will blaspheme. That's the truth. You know, that reminds me. That, remi that reminds me, Christina. Um, was it yesterday or the day before? I, I read a comment that was posted on one of my TikTok videos. And this guy, I mean, I mean, some of these comments, when I read it, I'm like, what is this, a contest to see how much error you can pack within two sentences? Like, like man, you take the cake. But this guy, like, out of all the things that he said that was wrong, one of the things he said is he said, Satan is getting, Satan is trying to get people to obey, uh, to, to, uh, to obey the law of God. I'm like, man, if I, I, if that's not blaspheming, it's pretty close to it. We know right from the garden, right from the garden, it's Satan's, that, that's his thing is to try to get people to disobey the law of God, the commandments of God. It's like what? So God says thou shalt not murder. So you think Satan tries to get you to obey that? Like, are you serious? God, you know, the Torah says thou shalt not steal. So Satan is trying to, trying to get you to obey that? <sighs> I don't know. These people, I don't know. They're so, they're, they're not brainwashed. They're brain soiled. Okay, they're brain soiled. They need to get brainwashed. Their brains are so soiled. They're so lawless. They're so it's just it's just amazing. KMJJ says, Shalom all blessings. Shalom to you. Welcome blessings to you. Byron says, I agree, Christopher. Um, I believe that would be talking about the 
Bible being read in, in church and going through the Bible everywhere and, and focusing, you know, let's major on the majors. What does God constantly say? What does God make clear? We should pay special attention to that. Excuse me. Not to not to um make um not to make a, a huge doctrine over a very, very small you know, verse, a couple verses here, a couple verses there, and make and then make a huge doc. Because you can anybody can take, you know, one or two verses here, one or two verses there, and they can make the Bible say a lot of different things that it never that it doesn't say. This is one of the this is one of the things I have this is one of the problems I have with Paul. He is he's very convoluted. He's not clear. He's not clear. Some people think he is. I don't think he is. He's not clear. And I don't think that's good. I don't think that's that's of of God really to be so unclear. To say one thing and then turn around and say something that sounds like it's completely the opposite. And it's not like he does it just once or twice. It's like he does it all the time. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, this is pretty much it, right? This is pretty much it. This, this, some, you know, this sounds, this is, this is like, it sounds so Martian, Martianistic, like Martianism all the way. Paul with a little bit of Luke, right? Paul. Paul throughout the year, but at Christmas you get you get Luke. So it just it's like Martianism all the way. Unfortunately. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Jordan. Try having one verse preached in a whole sermon. I'll never understand this. Yeah. That's what happens so many times, right? They take one verse. Like the prosperity preachers, you know? I think one or even one sentence out of a verse, right? I pray that your soul prospers even I pray that you prosper even as your soul prospers. They take that one verse and boom, they just you know, they put everything on it. That's just one example. We can probably talk about 100 over 100 different examples. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a. I, I my personally, I don't have a whole lot of um, experience with the the Roman Catholic Church. One John said, "I went to a Catholic grade school and went to church every morning and was never taught the Bible." <sighs> yeah, they put a lot of they put a lot of emphasis on the church, right? They put a lot of emphasis on the church and the church traditions. Um, yeah. That's pretty sad. Reminds me that one time when I was, I was, I was, uh, let me think now. I think I was 19 years old, 20 years old. I was, it was a, it was a little while ago. It was a little while ago. I was like 19, 20 years old and I was going door to door and I, not a JW. Okay. I'm not a JW. I was going door to door, pre, just telling people about God and talking to people about, uh, you know, Jesus and church and all that kind of stuff. And I came to the door of the, uh, Catholic Roman Catholic priest, and he answers the door. And I had a friend. I had a friend with me, 
And he invited me in. He invited me in, sit me down at the table. It was like a dinette kind of table, not a dining table, but just like a dining, just like a small little table. Um, and he sat across from me. And I, I, I really forget all the things that we were talking about. I'm pretty sure I was talking about being born again and this kind of thing. Um, you know, the, the, the tradition, like the common Christian message that I was, but still this particular Roman Catholic priest, literally, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He was shaken. He was shaking, talking to me. It, not because of, he didn't, it wasn't like a, you know, any kind of medical condition. He was just so wound up. He was so, I thought, man, what's he going to do? Like jump over the table at me or what? What's going on here? It's almost, it's like, seems like he almost, like he would have. He was shaking, talking to me and he was angry. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Yeah, fearfully confident. Uh, welcome, by the way. Churches don't pre preach Tanakh anymore. And they claim to be Book of Acts Church. You know, they claim to be a New Testament Book of Acts Church. Yeah, well, Book of Acts Church didn't have the New Testament. You really want to be a Book of Acts Church? Or you really say, you think you are? Okay. If you really want to do it the New Testament, the, the Book of Acts way, use only the Tanakh to preach your gospel. That's what, that's what they did. They used only the Tanakh as their as their text that that they based everything on. Yeah, no, fearfully confident. Uh, no wonder Christians think the Old Testament is done away with. Yeah, it's, it is done away in their in their church. Byron says uh, most churches I've been to never got into the convicting parts of the Bible. Yeah, the pastor doesn't want to rub anybody's fur the wrong way. He doesn't want he doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to be kicked out. He wants to please the board. Clutch, welcome, welcome, Clutch. Better late than never. Good evening, Christopher and everyone. Good evening, welcome. Psalm 94, when I went to the Catholic Church for a brief time, the sermon was done, all done in Latin, no translation. How can you learn from that? Totally agree with you there. I mean, like what's, it, it, that reminds me too, that some people, and we actually, we see this a lot. You see this a lot, not just in Christianity, but let me just say this, in other religions as well. They, they idolize a certain language. They, they make an idol out of a language. Some people, it's they idolize Greek. Some people, they idolize Hebrew. Some people, they idolize Arabic. All right? Other people, they might idolize Latin. I don't think we should idolize any language like that. Going nowhere, ask the question, do you think animals can be possessed too? Yes, yes, they can. We read this the story of uh, the flock, the whole, I mean, the whole herd, I should say, of, of pigs that Yeshua sent the legion, all the evil spirits went into the pigs. So they were possessed. 
They were possessed. Yeah, they can be. And by the way, Yeshua knew what, what he was doing. I mean, the pigs were fair game, right? They were fair game. Do I think it's okay for Christians to believe in creation and evolution? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends on what you mean by evolution. I mean, I put it this way. I, I do not believe what scientists, what some, I mean, most, I guess, I guess some science, a few, very few scientists, I think, ha are close to the truth. Science books are always changing. They're always changing. They're always updating. They're always up updating their science books or throwing out the old science books. Why? Because they, they're always wrong. They're always wrong. And so I do believe that the earth is a whole lot younger than science, mainstream science would tell you today. I think that they're, ta they're not taking into, into account a number of things. Um, just briefly, like, for example, Noah's flood, Noah's flood. Um, they say today that that any future generation past, you know, let's say another another three, four, five hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, they say that uh, any future generation will not be able to date anything correctly because we've messed up the environment so much with our carbon emissions. That's what they say. That's what they say. Um, I can play the video clip if you want, but I mean, they say that. Um, and so I don't think, I don't think we've messed up that much. I don't think we have messed up the environment that much because we don't see, compare it with what happened in the days of Noah. According to the scriptures, the human the human race lost 90% of its life expectancy. They used to live to up to a thousand years old. But after Noah's flood, it was brought down to 100, 100, they say 120, 70, anywhere between 70, 120, depending on what scripture you want to go for. Basically, um, what happened to the earth because of the flood um cut life expectancy down to 10% of that, which it, 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 excuse me, it originally was, like after, you know, Adam and Eve, for example. So that's a huge change in environment. Pre-flood and post-flood, according to the scriptures, huge, huge change to the earth. So much of a change it cut 90% of life expectancy away, away from the human race. You only get 10% of what they got before the flood. That's a, that's a huge change. Huge. So they're saying now that in the past 100, 150 years, there's been so much pollution and carbon emissions that it, it'll completely ruin all these the, the science um, dating methods uh, that that they have used up to this point. In the future, they're not going to be able to, to date anything accurately. So 
if that's the if that's true, which I think it could be true that that uh, you know a little bit of change, arguably, arguably a little bit of change could throw science off that much. How much could the flood uh, throw science off? How much? Could the flood and what happened to the earth in the days of Noah throw science off? So basically, my, my own personal opinion um, going nowhere, my own personal opinion on this, again, take it for what it, you know, take it for what it is, but um, I would say, see, Noah's flood was approximately 5,000 years ago, okay? So... From Noah's flood until today, the, the the dating, scientific dating analysis that they use would be relatively accurate, okay? But anything past 5,000 years old, in my mind, is not even, don't even go there. And don't even mention, don't even tell me, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the earth is only 5,000 years old. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm just saying that I think that Science does not take into account what happened to the Earth's, to the atmosphere, to the environment during Noah's flood. They don't even take that into account whatsoever. They, science assumes that everything has always been the way it is today. That's what science assumes. So that's why, that's how they do their um, calculations. Then somebody might say, well, what about the sedimentary layers? Or what about this and that and everything else? Well, my, my, my response to that is this. I'm sure all of us would agree, at least I hope all of us would agree, that Adam was created as, a, as an adult. He wasn't created as an embryo. Right? He wasn't created as a baby. He was created as an adult. God creates things with age with it, intrinsic age if god created the earth i don't think it could function if it if it was created i don't think the earth could could function unless it was created with age let me just say this let me just back up a step if we went back to the day when Adam was created and bring him forward in time to our day and take him to the doctor and say, Doc, do your analysis on this man and you tell me how old he is. I guarantee you they're not going to say zero days old or one day old. They're not going to do that. I think, I think Adam was created with age. At the same time, I think that the earth was created with age. So... Um, those are my thoughts on that going nowhere. Thanks for the questions. Very good questions. Going nowhere, do you think it's okay for Christians to meditate only according to the scriptures? There's meditation that is more of like a new age kind of meditation. And, and that kind of meditation is not, no. Because you are really basically opening yourself up to uh, evil spirits doing that doing the new age type meditation. Uh, but meditating on the word or meditating 
uh, as the scriptures talk about meditating, which means simply just to to think about the, the scriptures, to think about what what God says, to take time away from the busy the busy day, take time away from the rat race. And just spend time alone with God or just eat. doesn't really even have to be alone. I mean, you can be at work or at school and be meditating on the word too. So, um, yeah, it just depends on how you do it. Joshua says, I remember watching your stream a couple days ago. Courtney's belief in original sin doesn't make sense, mainly because if people had kids, that means... They are just making more sinners. But God has to be. But God has to be fruitful and multiply. I totally, totally agree with you, um, Joshua. Original sin is is a is an abomination. That that doctrine is definitely an abomination. It's it is it's horrific. Not put it this way the way the way yeshua would say it like if you he, he he likens an evil judge he says if an evil judge would give a widow justice because she is persistent how much more would the, would the judge give you justice so basically uh yeshua was kind of drawing a contrast here saying look at even even an eve could do this how much more um the righteous the righteous judge uh, you know god um in the same way with even evil judges are not going to throw uh perhaps maybe it happened sometime in the, in the history i don't know perhaps i mean whatever i mean things can happen but generally speaking even evil judges would not arrest a father and charge him with the sins of his son or vice versa, arrest the son and charge him with the sins of the father and put him to death because of the father's sin. That would never, that just doesn't work. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Oh yeah, we'll put the son in prison because the father stole a car. And we'll let the father go. We'll let the father go free. Even and that's the way some of these people think, right? That's not justice. Not even close to justice. The soul who sins shall die. The one who has sinned against me is the one who who will who will pay for that sin, according to the scriptures, is what God said. So yeah, original sin is definitely an abomination. And it was none. Uh, you don't see that in in the Tanakh. No Jewish person believes in that nonsense for a reason because it's not in the Tanakh. The disciples didn't believe in that. Perhaps Paul did. But Paul is Paul. I you know he's an he's a different he's different all by he's he's all by himself on a lot of things. So um, Paul's Paul. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the authority to change the ways of God or the Word of God. Um, but some people would say that Paul didn't preach that anyway. So I mean, I'm just 
I, you know, I get that. I get that too. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Original sin is 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 an abomination for sure. It was it was made popular, and a lot of people think that it was not just made popular, but actually it was invented basically by Saint Augustine. Saint Augustine invented that doctrine. Uh, and basically it's because of um Saint Augustine was was not I don't know why they would call, you know I, I can't I, I have not read Saint Augustine you know he wrote uh, what they call uh, a book called the Con the Confessions of Saint Augustine um now I have not personally read it I've heard other people talk about what he wrote and if what he wrote is true if what they say is true I don't know why they would call him a saint. I don't know why they would call him a saint. Uh, but he's the one that came up with this original sin, according to a lot of people. A lot of people believe that he's the one that came up with it. And this original sin doctrine was really based or upon or cultivated, cultured in Augustine's secular Manichaeanism, weird kind of way of thinking. Okay, that's what kind of brought about this whole doctrine of original sin it's it's really yeah it's really horrific it's so in a lot of people because of that doctrine by the way i'm not sure if everybody knows uh, what this because of that doctrine a lot of people believe that if you have a miscarriage or if a baby passes away or even a toddler dies if that baby has not been baptized or accepted jesus as the lord and savior then that baby goes to hell. It's a horrific doctrine. It's, it's just absolutely horrific. Very good point, fearfully confident. Yes, it's true. I mean, it, see, the reason why is these people don't think. They, they really don't think. For Again, they're just like parrots, right? They parrot, They just parrot the modern Christian doctrine. Uh, they don't think for themselves. And likewise, their, their pastors also parrot what they've heard and all the way down the line. All the way down the line to St. Augustine and then some. Shepherd's Chapel says one John, who I started with, calls them one verse Charlies. They are on YouTube and TV. Yeah, that's true. This is a really good, really good point there, Christina. The miracle of Pentecost is that everyone understood in their own language. That is absolutely. Uh, I don't think we need to study languages to understand the truth. That's 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 an amazing. Um, that's very, very deep. That's for sure.
Trish says, Shalom and good evening. Shalom, good evening to you, Trish. Okay. Byron says, uh, cigarettes are sinful, I believe. Can you go into the into depth on why it is sinful? Yeah. Um, several different points, several different um, reasons. Uh, like where do you want to, where do you start with that? Because there, it's actually, uh, I mean, to, even to start with the secular, just a secular, um, like what is sin, right? Sin is transgressing the law of God. Sin is, is doing something that God would, it, to, to really, to really put it in a very, very oversimple, like not oversimple, but very sim simple way. Sin is doing something that God doesn't like. And so if God loves you, how could, why would he like it if you destroy yourself smoking? And uh, every doctor would say to you that smoking is one of the most destructive things anyone could ever do. So you are destroying yourself. You are doing something that would not help you, but hurt you. How would God... How, how how would that be possible that God would think that it's okay? God doesn't think it's okay, and that's why it's a sin. Um, that's a very that's on a very simple level. Uh, I mean, even even um, you know, even secular doctors would say that it's not good. It's a bad it's a bad thing to do, you know. And so, sin is not good. It's bad, and so whatever is not good and bad is is sin and, and smoking is not good it's bad in sin now that's very it's very simple taking it a little bit deeper you've got two at least two other points one one is if you read through the torah especially um the actually not just the dietary laws but in many other places as well but especially the dietary laws Luke, uh, leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, God really makes it clear. He wants you to eat clean. He doesn't want you to eat anything that's unclean. And it speaks a lot against, against uncleanly behavior throughout the Torah. And once again, smoking is a very dirty thing to do, you know, uh, not just not just harming yourself and you know destroying your own your own body, but also you know filling your lungs with tar and what some six around six hundred other chemicals as well is very dirty. It, it's not a clean it's not a clean thing to do. Uh, so the uh, like one of the themes of Torah is to be clean, to eat clean. 
to consume those that don't put anything unclean in your body. Now, if pork is unclean, and it is, then how much more would this filthy tobacco be unclean? Someone might say, well, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say, you know, thou shalt not smoke. Well, the reason being is because no, it, nobody did back then, right? Because back in those days, it wouldn't have been even probably even available in that part of the world. Uh, more like what Central America around there um, and perhaps in a few other places as well. But uh, it wasn't available. So why would God say don't do it if, if nobody ever was able to do it anyway? Um, so that's another point. It's against the it's against the laws of cleanliness. Number three is we know that if we are truly God's people and if, if we are uh, a new creation, if we have repented and the Spirit of God is, is in us, we are the temple of the Spirit of God. We are, we are the temple of God uh, because the Spirit of God lives in us. So to smoke, when you smoke, you are destroying the temple of God. At the very least, you are defiling the temple of God, filling it full of a, a number of different very filthy things, uh, tar and, again, about 500 and some odd different other chemicals. That is not, it's not a good thing. It, it's, you know, it definitely would be sin. You're destroying the body that that actually you're destroying the temple of God. I guess another this would be number four. And that would be that you're destroying the body. If if you are really, a, if you are really God's, if you are if you belong to God, your body belongs to God. And if you are smoking, you know anybody with any kind of any any kind of sense at all would say that smoking harms you it's it's, a, you know, it's bad it, it it's really destroying it's, it's taking years off of your life so you are actually destroying you are defiling someone else's property you're destroying god's property so that's um that's what i would say about smoking same with uh you know smoking or smoking anything smoking cigarettes or smoking anything else like that as well um, that's what I would say about that, Byron. I remember my grandmother, um, and she was a very godly lady, my grandmother. Now she, I remember her saying to me, like, like she never, nobody ever told her that a lot of, like, she would always say, well, no, no, nobody ever told me, you know, doing this was wrong or doing that was wrong or doing the other thing. She said, I just knew it was, you know, and like, she didn't smoke either, of course. Um, I think if we have the, if we have the spirit of God, if we, if we're close to God, we, we have an, you know, uh, an instinct of what's good, what's not good, what's holy, what's clean, what's unholy, what's unclean. That's what I would say about that, Byron. Very good question. Thank you.
<laughs> Christina says, uh, Augustine claims the book of Romans brought him to Jesus. <laughs> well, I, I, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. The Roman road of salvation right there, Augustine. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of things that came through Augustine was, was, was definitely... Uh, uh, Augustine was definitely a step in the wrong direction uh, for the church, that's for sure. Caballero, how can we counter the wrong doctrine of original sin? Um, very good question. Um, one of these days we'll have to do a study on it. You know, uh, that would take a whole, like probably would take a whole evening in and of itself. Uh, but just bringing out like off the top of my head, off the top of my head, um, bringing out passages like, um, the soul that sins shall die. It's not. It's the, the son will not die for the father. The, the 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 father will not die for the son. One does not pay for the other one's sin. That's clear. Clear in the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, Ezekiel chapter eighteen, and in practice throughout the scriptures, um, it's clear. When Moses in Exodus chapter thirty-two wanted to um, to basically die for for uh, the the children of Israel you know you know like lord uh, you know blot me out not them the lord's like nope nope that's not how it works the one who sins against me will be blotted out not 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 you so the righteous does not cannot be blotted out for the unrighteous god makes it very clear the one who sins is the one who dies Everyone bears their own punishment, not the punishment of another. That's just, I mean, that's that's one concept right there. Um, I mentioned before that there is um, the concept in Psalm 51, verse 5. Let me just show you here. This is from my blog, ChristopherEnoch.org. This is one of the um, uh, articles that I have on there. Original sin conceived in sin, Psalm 51, verse 5, the doctrine of original sin. Okay, so, uh, you know, I, I do a, I do a write-up on this um, in this article. And, uh, you know, this whole thing, when, when David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, um, my mother conceived me. That's not what it sounds like, okay? That's not what it sounds like, Um and that's why, that's why I just I wrote here. Many people look at this from a very shallow perspective, and they assume this this supports the doctrine of original sin. But a careful look into the scriptures and and into historical documents reveals something quite different. Uh, to make a long story short, um, David was uh, he was believed to be a child from another father okay to make it to make a long story short okay um there, again you can you can see here as i'm scrolling through it it is a it is a long it's a long story um but the story goes like that that uh, you know that's the reason why he looked different that's the what that's the reason why his brothers treated him the way they treated him because they looked at him as, as if he was a illegitimate child 
Um, and uh, that's the reason why all the other brothers came out to Samuel and they kept David in the back. Like, you know, we don't want, like he's the uh, illegitimate, illegitimate child kind of thing. Okay. Um, now I'm not saying it, I'm just bringing this, I'm just bringing this out that this is something that um, is in historical documents in, in the uh, Jewish circles. Uh, something to check out. Yeah, so if you want to check it out, I mean, without getting into an immense amount of detail, um, I would encourage you to go over there to ChristopherEnoch.org, check out that article, Original Sin, Conceived in Sin. That's another point that we can talk about. Um, I mean, I mean, just really, really, it, it, all it really does, it just takes common sense just to think about it. Like, would I, if... You know, if I, if, uh, if my neighbor, you know, um, uh, I don't know, if my neighbor uh, slandered me, would I charge his son for that? Why would I do that? That's not just. If, if someone did something to you, would you go after their children? Would you would you pass that down to their children and say this is their children's fault, right? And so, I think that just a very, I think it's just common sense, really. That it, it's that that certainly would not be just. Joshua says, since hearing a lot of the Gentile church fathers in early Christianity, their doctrines are so bad, in my opinion, for the most part, I've been deconstructing everything I've learned, starting to become orthodox in my understanding of scripture, like Jewish, Jewish orthodox. I hear you, Joshua. Yeah, I hear you. Um, you'll see it. You'll see it uh, in history from, from the first century, from the time of Yeshua, or from the time of the 12 disciples, actually from the time of Paul, that's Paul is where it really started. Really, I would say, but the more it go, the more time goes on, the more and more these people become more and more anti Jewish and uh, the church fathers with, with the rare exception, there would be, I, there might be a, a, a one or two here or there, uh, a little bit that are not that bad. But as time went on, it seems like just corruption set in deep, like more and more and more and more. Um, and that's one of the reasons why. I, I mean, the thing is that we just want to focus on, you know, the Tanakh. We want to focus on first century, quote unquote, Christianity, or if you want to say Judaism, because I believe that first century Christianity was first, first century Judaism. Uh, the, the 12 disciples, they worshiped with the Jews. They went to the synagogue all the time, like the Jews, with the Jews. You know, Acts chapter 15, they made the decisions. You know, they were right there amongst with, 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 the, with the Pharisees and everything, just like how Yeshua was right there all the time. Um, they didn't go off to their, and do their own little thing and build their own little building and call it a church. That's not what they did. One John, this is amazing. Uh, this is awesome. This is awesome. Very, very good point. This is really good. 
Very good. One John. This is great. Uh, if babies weren't innocent, then Christ wouldn't have warned about taking the children away from him. Better to drown yourself. Yeah, she was said like it's better to better to tie uh, you know a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the depth of the sea. It's better to do that than it is to cause a little one to sin. Very very good point. That is amazing, one John. Christina says, uh, speaking of the church fathers, they shouldn't be called fathers. Yeah, I, I, I myself call them church fathers because that's what people people call using Christians. The Christian, your what would you call it? Christianese, churchianity, churchianity, Christianese, using their own language. But yeah, I hear you, Christ, Christina. Joshua says, as I've been hearing more from elders like you and a couple others, as well as my grandmother, my practice is is even starting to look more Orthodox Jewish. I don't think Yeshua came to make a new religion. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Uh, in the early in the early days, quote unquote, Christianity or quote unquote, the way was a sect of Orthodox Judaism. Absolutely. hundred percent. Definitely. But I get, uh, Joshua says, but I get a lot of pushback for thinking that. Um, but it's mainly from non-Jewish people. Yeah, I, I hear you. Psalm 94. Uh, people smoke and then ask for prayer for healing when they get sick instead of quit, quitting smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Cut it off at the root. Yep. Christina, I think um, tobacco originated in p pagan rituals anyway, peace pipes or whatnot. Yeah. From what I understand, it's like they, it originated in like the Aztecs way back when. Um yeah, certainly not a godly thing at all. It certainly didn't originate with uh, with a man of God, that's for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, God created these plants. I remember talking to a farmer um, years ago about organic farming. And he said how um, to really do organic farming properly, you have to kind of layer your crops. Like, you plant your crop and then around the crop, you got to plant layers of different like chrysanthemums and other different kinds of um, uh, plants uh, around like almost like layers of an onion, right? Um, and so the idea is that certain plants repel certain um, certain pests. And so the idea is you put these kind of repellents around your crop and it keeps the it keeps the destroyer it keeps the these pests out of your crop so you don't need to use any kind of pesticides or anything like that uh i i think that that's probably what the garden of eden looked like you know if the garden of eden was a literal physical garden on earth 
then it would it would have probably been set up like that. It, different layers, different stages around the around the core of the garden that was protecting different things that would protect it from different uh, pests. And I think that, like t- for example, tobacco. We have nicotine. Um, nicotine is an insecticide. A natural insecticide, a natural, not just an insecticide, but an insect repellent. Actually, if you look up online, it will give you recipes to to um, to make your own insect your your own insecticide or insect repellent with uh, tobacco. So I think that that was God originally created it to be an insecticide. And so the devil took what God created originally to be an insecticide and made and made it into uh, what it is today. And how many millions of people, or perhaps even billions, I don't know, but definitely millions of people died because of it. Going nowhere says, if uh, smoking is sinful, then it is drinking also, just asking. Actually, I do have an article on my uh, blog as well about that, ChristopherEnoch.org. Um, drinking is, I think that as, as people who are dedicated to God, people who carry the name of the Lord, uh, we should be very, very careful to uh, to be a good example to people. I remember when I was very, when I was young, I was like in my, well, four, uh, how many years old now was I? 15, 15 years old, 16. And Fred was younger than me. And he would go, he actually, he took me. I, I didn't go, I didn't, like, it's not that I really wanted to go to this, but he took me because he needed to, he went to an AA meeting, and he took me several times to these AA meetings. And it's really, uh, yeah, it's really a sad situation to see these people. I mean, I mean, it's good in a way, but it's a sad situation. And it, a lot of, a lot of destruction, a lot of violence, a lot of death, a lot of evil has has come from people uh, people consuming alcohol. Now, I know a lot of people consume alcohol and there's no, it's no problem for them. I understand that. I know some people consume alcohol and they say they never get drunk and nothing like that. I understand that as well. But as, as a man of God or as a woman of God, someone who carries the name of the Lord, we need to be very careful to be a good example. Um, There are people out there that are very weak in this, in that situ, in that kind of, in that area. In other words, they can't just have a glass of wine. They can't just have, you know, a bottle of beer. They'll, they'll, they'll fall right back into alcohol, like alcohol abuse, um, and they might die, or kill somebody else, or hurt somebody else. Um, so people look up to 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 
to men of God, to women of God. They look up to, to people like that. They look up to leaders, uh, spiritual leaders. And if they see a spiritual leader drinking, they'll say, oh. and the, even the devil could use that and whisper in their ear, hey, see, 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 he does it. He drinks, you can, you can drink. Ah, just one, just take just one. I think that it's not a good idea to say the least. Um, even casual. I think it's not a good idea. I think to be the to be a good example for people and not to be used as an excuse for people to dive right back into that cesspool. I think that we should abstain from it. I think that's a really good thing to do, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else too. So th those are my thoughts on it going nowhere. You can probably read, I got, I got a, I got an article again on my blog about it where I get a little bit more into the scripture and I talk about, and I, I pull out all these different things. And I, I, I have a write up about it anyway, but that's just off the top of my head. Christina says, someone who that hasn't sinned is, is not a sinner. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I don't understand why uh, such a pro the church has such a problem understanding that babies and those in repentance are, are not sinners. It's just, like, it's just like the Pharisees in the days of Yeshua. They, um, they looked at you know, people like Mary Magdalene that were hanging around Jesus and like, no, Jesus is a, is a friend of sinners, because they knew that if they pin, if they could, if they could pin that on him, then they could basically smear his name, and you know they knew that basically that was against the Tanakh. So they didn't understand that no, he wasn't a friend of sinners. He was a friend of ex sinners, and certainly yes, he tried. You know, he was a friend of those of people who wanted to quit sinning. Let me put it that way. But people, well, who did Jesus say were the, were the sinners? Who did Yeshua say were the sinners? The Pharisees for sure were sinners in his eyes. If anybody, if anybody were sinners, it was the Pharisees. Now, how much of a friend was he to the Pharisees? Yeah, I, it's like, the baby's a sinner because the baby will sin but hasn't sinned. Again, I don't I don't it's not that's not that's not good. You don't you don't you don't judge somebody for what they could do that they haven't done. Or even if they even if you know that they will do it, you don't judge them now for you know, so I'm going to, you know, again, can you imagine a judge judging someone yeah, so I'm going to charge you now with theft because I know you will do it sometime. That's not that's not justice. That's not good. Christina says AA meetings are incredibly depressing. They constantly call themselves alcoholics. Yeah, in the present tense. I, yeah, for sure. I don't see how it helps to identify constantly as I am an alcoholic. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I can see at the very beginning, yes, admit it, you know, you're an alcoholic, yeah, you need help, okay, repent, and then after that, no, you're not an alcoholic, you're an ex-alcoholic. -al you were, 
but now you're not. I get it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's so true. It's so true. It's like it's no redemption, isn't it? It's, it's almost like there's no hope. It's like this is the way I'm stuck. I'm stuck here. Yeah, so that's not good. Absolutely. Let's continue with Psalm 7. Psalm 7 says, If one does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and taken aim. He has also prepared deadly weapons for himself. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, an evil person is pregnant with injustice, and he conceives harm and gives birth to lies. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His harm will return on his own head and his violence will descend on top of his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Psalm 27. Again, these are psalms that David wrote during the time that we well, we read about it there. We're just kind of catching up a little bit. A psalm of fearless trust in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom should I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an army encamps against me, my heart will, will not fear. If war arises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In the footnotes, to behold the delightfulness of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle or in his shelter, in his sukkah. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me for, for excuse me, nor forsake me, God of my salvation. For my, my father and other have forsaken me, but, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies, for false witnesses have risen against me, and the violent witness. I certainly believed 
that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Before I go to the next one, I would like to just point out here, when I read this, I think of Yeshua. When I read this, I think of Yeshua. False witnesses have arisen, have risen against me. Violent witnesses. I, cer- I certainly believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There is the, re- there is the resurrection right there. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 31. A psalm of complaint and of praise. In you, Lord, have I, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of strength for me, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. In your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. Again, I think right here, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Yeshua said. Verse 6, I hate those who devote themselves to worthless idols. In the footnotes, futilities, literally futilities. But I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithfulness because you have seen my misery. You have, you have known the troubles of my soul and you have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eye away from grief, my soul and my body too. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my guilt and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a disgrace, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead person out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. The word slander in the footnotes, whispering. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take my life. Again, as a footnote, or as a, I should say, as a side note here, I think of Yeshua as I read this. I think of what he went through. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your faithfulness. Let me not be ashamed, Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. In the footnotes, the netherworld. That'd be the grave. Let the lying lips be speechless. 
which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have performed for those who take refuge in you before the sons of mankind. You hide them in a secret place. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of mankind. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown his marvelous faithfulness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off in I'm cut off from your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the sound of my pleadings when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his godly ones. The Lord watches over the faithful but fully repays the one who acts arrogantly. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 34. The Lord, a provider and the one who rescues me. A Psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away. And he departed. Abimelech, in the footnotes, possibly a title of a king of King Akish of Gath. See Samuel, First uh, Samuel twenty-one ten to fifteen. We read that there last night. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Exalt the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and rescued me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were never ashamed. Oh, guys, you know what, guys? I gotta, I, I, I just have to stop here for a second. As I read this, I got I to gotta share this with you. I have to share this with you. As I read this, it just it just it just came to mind. Years ago, uh, I'm trying to think when was it? Uh, close to thirty years ago, as far as I can remember, I had a dream, and I I, I remember the dream very very clearly. I was in this big auditorium, this big auditorium, and it was packed, packed full of people. And they were there to, it was, it was a meeting. It was a meeting, like, like a, a church meeting kind of thing. And, you know, there was a, a preacher, um, worship leader, this kind of thing. And... There must have been at least, at least 20,000 people there. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. There was a, there was a, a, a gentleman who was, he was an older gentleman. He had short gray hair. No older gentleman. And he was leading worship. He was leading um, some um, 
in praise and worship songs. And he was singing. It was very, very quietly. Like it was a very, very soft music, very soft music and very like just singing. Everybody was just singing softly to the Lord. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was like a nuke hit the place in the spirit. All of a sudden, the presence of God hit the place. I don't know how to I, 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 I don't know how to describe. It was like a nuke that hit the place. All of a sudden, it's not something you can hear with your, your earthly ears, not something you can see with your earthly eyes. But it was like, boom! It was like it was like the God of Mount. It was like the God of Mount Sinai showed up. It was like, and it was literally like a nuke went off instantly, and everybody experienced this. Everybody felt it. Everybody experienced this visitation of God that hit the place. of the people ran out of the place. They couldn't take it. Like it was, it was, it was like, it was like a, it was like an attack. Literally almost everybody, except for maybe just, um, I don't know, maybe a hundred, maybe even less than that. Um, A couple dozen, maybe. But it was like, it, it started out with like tens of thousands. But when this happened, Boom! It was something that shook everybody. Literally, it shook everybody. It was something that could never, it could, it could not be reproduced by flesh and blood. It had to, it was just, it was the spirit of God. And people ran for their lives. My mother used to have, years ago, she used to have, she used to be, <laughs> There was a point in time when she was really, really, she liked cats, okay? Okay, she liked cats. And there was a point in time when she really had a lot of cats. And I still remember she had uh, cats in the in the basement. She had cats in the, in the room. She said, watch this. And she opened the door. And you can hear the cat. Before you even open the door, you can hear the cat scratching at the door, right? You can hear the scratching at the, scratching at the you can, Even the paws would go underneath the door. You can see the and it was like it was like maybe seven, eight, nine cats in this one in this one room, right? And she'd say, "Watch this!" And she'd open the door, and it was like literally like cat upon cat upon cat upon cat would jump out, like literally they would be standing on one another, jumping out. That's the way it was with these people when God hit the place the way He did it. These people were literally on on top of one another, multiple layers running out of that place running out of the exits of that place. It was like terror. But there was a very few amount of people, just I don't know, a couple dozen maybe, that stayed. And their face was like the sun that shone in the street. 
they would look up to the Lord with boldness and confidence and innocence and purity and holiness. And they would look up and they would just, just adore him. They were, they were able to stand in his great and awesome presence. of the people could not. They were just absolutely, they were struck with fear. So much so they were trampling one another going out. And I, and I woke up after, after dreaming that. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was like, oh Lord, let me be like one of these people that were, they were, they were pure, they were holy, they were undefiled, they were, they were able to stand before the Lord. Just beautiful. Like, I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful sight. It's like God, it's like God vetted everybody. God got rid of every, God got rid of all the weeds, okay? He got rid of everybody, got rid of almost everybody except for just a few. But those few were, they were like angels. It was amazing. That's why I I just, I just had to share that with you guys because as I read this, that's what I thought. That's, I thought about that dream. Again, Psalm 34, verse 4, I read it again. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were nev- will never be ashamed. This wretched man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And rescues them. Not everybody. The angel of the Lord does not does not encamp around everybody. Those who fear Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear the Lord. There is no lack of anything. The young lions do without and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the person who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. There's repentance again. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Again, if there is no such thing, if there, if none are righteous, then this makes no sense. This is this is this is total nonsense. If if there is none righteous, there are righteous people. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry for help. The face of the Lord is against evildoers 
to eliminate the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears again and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In the footnotes, contrite. Humility. There's humility right there. There's humility. The afflictions of the righteous are many. The afflictions of the righteous are many. You don't hear Christians claiming that, do you? The afflictions of the righteous are many. But the Lord uh, delivers him from them all. The Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Again, I think of Yeshua. Evil will bring death to the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will suffer for their guilt. The Lord redeems the souls of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will suffer for their guilt. You know, I, I believe, I believe. As we read this, as we read the Psalms, notice that we have a lot of these things that we see in Yeshua. But in the Psalms, it's in the first person. I, I did this, I did this. Into your hands, O God, I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes it's in the second person or third person. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. You want to hear the words of Yeshua? You know, the Gospels don't have a whole lot of the words of Yeshua. Letters of Paul have next to none. I mean, it has a little bit, a couple sentences, and that's about it. But the Gospels have more, of course. But you want to know, you want to, you, you really want to learn a little bit more about Yeshua. You want to know more about him. You want to, you want to learn more about Christian. You want to learn more about Jesus? Read the Psalms. That's him speaking. That's him speaking. We have more of the words of Yeshua in the Psalms than we do in the Gospels. Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Futility of boastful wickedness for the music director, a maskil of David. Maskil, possibly contemplative uh, or didactic or skillful psalm. When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Okay, so again, we read, we read about that um, in the previous video. Why do you boast in evil, you mighty man? The faithfulness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction. Like a sharp razor, you, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good. Lies more than speaking what is right. Selah. 
You love all words that devour, you deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous will see and fear, and they will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his in his evil desire. His evil desire in the footnotes or his destruction. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the faithfulness of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Psalm 56. Pleading for help and grateful trust in God. For the music director, according to Yonath Elim Rahokim, uh, that is in the footnotes, the silent dove of those who are far off, the dove, or excuse me, the dove of distant terebinths. Um, Miktam of David, Miktam, again here possibly epigrammatic poem or atonement psalm. When the Philistines seized him in Gath, be gracious to me, God, for a man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My enemies have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they distort my words. All their thoughts are again evil, or against me for evil, excuse me. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps. They wait, excuse me, as they have waited to take my life. Because of their wickedness, there will be an escape for them. Will there be an escape for them? In anger, make the peoples fall down, God. Just a little side note here. As I read this, I think about how a lot of people do this even to those who preach the truth. A lot of people, uh, you know, seek to distort I've had people do that to me as, as well. People who seek to distort my words. Their thoughts are not for me. They're evil against me. They attack. They lurk. They're waiting for me to say something wrong and then they want to catch me on it. Verse 7. Because of their wickedness, will there be an escape for them? In anger make the peoples fall down, God. You have taken account of my miseries. Miseries in the footnotes, my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back on the, on the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can ma mankind do to me? 
Your vows are binding upon me, God. I will render thanksgiving offerings to you, for you have saved my soul from death, indeed my my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Again, that we have here resurrection. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy, for his mercy is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or proclaim all his praise? How blessed are those who maintain justice, who practice righteousness at all times. In the footnotes, many Hebrew manuscripts, the one who performs righteousness at all times. Remember me, Lord, in your favor towards your people. Visit me with your salvation so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have done. We have gone astray. We have behaved wickedly. And our, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, so that he might make his power known. So he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the mighty waters as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of one that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his plan, but became lustfully greedy in the in the des, in the, excuse me in the wilderness, and put God to the test in the desert. So he gave them their their request, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the footnotes: wasting disease, leanness into their soul. When they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the, of the Lord, the, the earth opened and sold up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And the fire blazed up in their company. The, fi- the flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a cast metal image. So they exchanged their glory For the image of an ox that eats grass, they forgot God, their Savior, who who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. If Moses, his chosen one, had stood in the gap before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them, then they rejected the pleasant land. They did not believe his word but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he, he swore to them that, they, that he would have them fall in the wilderness and that he would bring down their descendants among their, the nations and scatter them in the lands. They also followed Baal Peor, Baal Peor, 
excuse me there, that's number U, which it says here is Baal of Peor, or Peor, and eight sacrifices offered to the dead. Yeah, notice here how this sacrifices, uh, eating, sa eating meat sacrifice not only to idols, but to the dead is, is forbidden here in the Tanakh. In line with what Yeshua said in, in Revelation chapter 2. So they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened. And so the plague was brought to a halt, and it was credited to him as righteousness to all generations forever. Now again, this is the only other time, excluding what it talks about when, uh, in regards to Abraham, where it uses this phrase, it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? Remember, according to dispensationalism, of course, dispensationalism is, is, is wrong. It's, it's not true. But just for the sake of those who, who cling to it, according to dispensationalism, this is in the same quote-unquote age. Okay? Abraham, it says, believed God, and it was it was accredited to him for righteous as righteousness here in the same time. Pre-Yeshua. Phinehas, Pinchas stood up and intervened, and so the plague was brought to a halt, and it was credited to him as righteousness to all generations forever. To all his generations, that would be, in context. Okay? So the idea here is that it wasn't just his belief that that gave that made him righteous. It wasn't just his faith that was accredited to him as righteousness, but it was what he did. Stood up and intervened. Just like Abraham. Wasn't his faith alone. Now again, there's there's an alternate way of interpreting that whole Abrahamic passage. We, we, we uh, dealt with that back in the time, but just a quick little snapshot. If you want to go back to the video, go back to the video and listen to it. But, you know, it was accredited. Abraham... And he believed, it says Abraham, uh, you know what, let's just pull it up quickly because um, I want to make sure I say it right. Talk about the evil ones lurking and looking for words that are, uh, so it's Genesis 15 verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Uh, so, this is, again, Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So the alternate interpretation of this is that it's who is the he and who is the him. Is it that he, Abraham, accounted, it to, accounted God as being righteous, and that's why God, um, that's why he believed. That's why, in other words, it can be interpreted as to say that Abraham believed in the Lord, because Abraham, he, accounted him, God, as being righteous. Okay? I know that's not the traditional interpretation of it, at least not the traditional Christian interpretation of it. Of course, the traditional Christian interpretation is that Abraham just believed, and that was accounted uh, to him for righteousness. But again, um, not in context of... The entirety of Scripture, because we have Phinehas over here as well, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Uh, and he did not just believe, he stood up and intervened. He is what he did.
Moving on. This is Psalm 106, verse 32. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went badly for Moses on their account because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they, they got involved with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was defiled with blood. By the way, guys, you know, there's a lot of children that are sacrificed today. You know what I mean? Verse 39. So they became so they became unclean in their practices and were unfaithful in their deeds. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he loathed his inheritance. So he handed them over to the, to the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would, re he would rescue them, and they, however, were rebellious in their plan, and they sank down into their guilt. Nevertheless, he looked at their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake, and relented according to the greatness of his mercy. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Remember, this is supposed to be in the quote-unquote age of the law. Right? He had lots of mercy. This is a God, this is the same God and Father of Yeshua. This is the same God and Father of Yeshua. He never changes. Verse of 47. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations to give thanks to your name and, and glory in praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and all the people shall say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 120. Psalm 120. A song of ascents. And this is... Um, Referenced in Exodus 30, 34, 24, and 1 Kings 12, 27. I cried out to the Lord in my trouble, and he answered me. Rescue my soul, Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What will he give to you, and what more will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the, of the broom tree. Woe to me, for I reside in Meshach. For I have settled among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but I speak, but when I speak peace, they are for war. Psalm 140. Prayer for protection against the wicked. I think we all need this, don't we? For the music director, a psalm of David. Rescue me, Lord, from evil people. Protect me from violent men who devise evil things in their hearts. 
They, they continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues like a snake. The venom of a viper is under his, their lips. Selah. Keep me, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from violent men who intend to trip, trip up my feet. The proud have hidden a trap for me in snares. They have spread a net at the wayside. They have set snares for me. Selah. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Listen, Lord, to the sound of my pleadings. God, the Lord. Again, God here is the yod He wau He, the Tetragrammaton. Usually translated L-O-R-D in capitals, but here it's G-O-D. Uh, I guess to make it sound better with the Adonai, you know. Uh, God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation you have covered my head on the day of battle. Do not grant, Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not bring about his evil planning so that they are not exalted, Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, may the harm of their lips cover them. May burning coals fall upon them. May they be cast into the fire, into, the bottom, into bottomless pits from which they cannot rise. This reminds me of only a place that they describe as hell. May a slanderer not endure on the earth. Slanderer in the footnotes, man of tongue. May evil hunt a violent person violently. What a prayer is that? Can you imagine that? That is quite a prayer, isn't it? May blow upon blow Excuse me. May the may, may evil hunt a violent person blow upon blow. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Certainly the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. Psalm 41. Lord, I call upon you. Hurry to me. Listen to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The raising of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, Lord, over my mouth. That's a good prayer. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with people who do wrong. And may I not taste their delicacies. May the righteous strike me with mercy and discipline me. It is oil for the head. My head shall not refuse it. For my prayer is still against their evil deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock. And they hear my words for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth. Our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are towards you, God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do wrong. May the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Psalm 142. Let's see, we got a little bit of uh, 
taking its time here. Psalm 142. In the meantime, you guys, if you guys have any questions specifically for me, make sure you um, put at Christopher. I'm going to have to, let me just see this, try this again. At Christopher in the uh, live chat. Ah, for some reason, what's up? Something's not working here. For some reason, it's not working here. Um, okay, here we are. Psalm 142. Prayer for help in trouble. A maskil of David when he was in the cave. A prayer. I cry out with my voice to the Lord. With my voice, I implore the Lord, the Lord for compassion. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit felt weak within me, you knew my path in the way where I walk. They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is one who regards me favorably. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to, to you, Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give your attention to my cry, for I have been, I have been brought very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will Look after me. You will look after me. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so. Um, yeah, speaking of what we were talking about earlier there, Jeff says AA meetings statistically are not as good as rubber band method after ECT shock treatment for 10 days. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't, never heard that. <laughs> Christina says, uh, that made me laugh because I wasn't expecting to hear when he pretended to be insane. Yeah. Okay, guys, that wraps it up for tonight. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Friday evening, I do, I do have it scheduled. You, you, you might, you may have, uh, excuse me, you may have ran across it already. Um, uh, if you're subscribed, uh, Friday evening, we do have a special guest on. We have, uh, Mr. Jackson Snyder, uh, and he's going to be speaking about Paul. And I, I can pretty much guarantee you, unless you're familiar with his teachings, uh, you probably have never heard what he's going to talk about Friday evening. You've probably never heard what he will, what he's going to say about Paul, Okay, uh, he actually he brought some uh, some things down about Paul that I have never heard before. Some things that may uh, it, I well, it will get you thinking. That's for sure. That's for sure. And so he's going to be with us on Friday evening. Let me see here. So don't forget that. So tomorrow, that's Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to continue going through the scriptures like this in chronological order. Uh, again, as always, fellowshipping, taking your questions and your comments. Saturday, I, I'm, I'm aiming for another open conversation with whosoever will, as long as they're half decently respectful. 
Um, we'll do that on Saturday. That'll be Saturday at 2 p.m. Uh, back to our regular schedule on Sunday evening. Uh, so uh, that's that's our outlook for the week. Jeff says, ECT worked for my fathers in the 1980s. Okay, wow. All right. So one John says, thank you, Christopher, and shalom. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate you. Shalom and blessings multiplied to you. Byron says, shalom. Have a great night, guys and girls. You too, Byron. Jeff says, shalom. And Caballero says, as always, thank you so much for this Bible study. And thank you for joining us, Caballero. Thank you very much for your fellowship. I appreciate it. So I'll see you guys again, Lord willing, tomorrow night, same time, same place. We'll continue where we left off. Amen. Amen. As always, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. And I pray for each one of you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.